Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. I appreciate all of you that are reading my book, um, Listen, Learn, and Love, Embracing LGBTQ Latter-day Saints, and reviewing on Amazon and sharing with people. Appreciate you doing that. And and the purpose of the book, obviously, is to bring voice to LGBTQ Latter-day Saints so we can better help them on the road. And Valerie is doing that. Um, my guest, let me... Transition. Then my guest on today's podcast is my friend Valerie Payne. Valerie is a licensed clinical social worker and it's been in private practice for a couple of years. And some of her clients are LGBTQ Latter day Saints. So she understands this space and has been thoughtful about this space as well as lots of other spaces. Valerie is a return missionary, she served in Peru. She is single in her mid-30s. She got um, a degree from BYU in theater and then a master's in social work. She started a podcast, which we'll talk about in this podcast, called Finding Unity. It's a great podcast. I love the title. I love the focus. In a way, our podcasts kind of overlap. And I really want more people to connect with Valerie's podcast because she's doing great work and has had wonderful guests on her podcast. And I think, Valerie, what she's doing is just consistent. We're coming out of October General Conference where our leaders talked a lot about unity. And so I think sometimes from a practical standpoint, listening to a podcast like Valerie's and her guests helps us to practically implement some of the things that our leaders ask us to do. Um, it, Welcome to the podcast, Valerie. We're so glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much for the kind thoughts and for having me. I really appreciate it. Anything from a bio standpoint that I miscommunicated? Um, no, I, I think you're good. <laughs> okay. Um, we offered a prayer. Both of us, it's, we're always both nervous to do a podcast, to be honest. I'm still nervous and my guests are nervous. And we offered a prayer. Valerie has a lot of wonderful thoughts and I just pray that um, I'll do a good job of getting out the things that are in her mind, um, in her heart, um, and that she shares with others that will help you, our listeners. We both hope that everybody will leave this podcast just with more principles to bring us together in the same human family, to find more hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ and more unity, even in our differences. And um, so that's really kind of the goal of the podcast. Is that okay? That's great. I love it. Let's start with. Um, I'd love to know how you decided to become a licensed clinical social worker. If if I'd met you when you were getting your theater degree, was that part <laughs> of it or did it come later? No, it, it did come later. Um, I feel like a big um, impact on me pursuing social work was my mission. I remember um, specifically one instance when we met a woman and she was sharing um, uh, a a tragedy that she had gone through. Um, she um, talked to us about how she'd been raped and um, that experience. And it was a very unifying moment, honestly. And after leaving that um, meeting with her, I remember thinking, this is what I want to do. I want to help people. And I mean, she felt, she expressed feeling so grateful for our visit. Um, and so, and honestly, I never saw her after that. But that experience really impacted my decision to pursue social work. Um, my mother is a social worker, so it had al always been in the family, but I never even thought of it as a potential 
career until my mission. And then um, transitioning into my private practice, that was also impacted by relationships and friends that I had and things that they had expressed to me that really made me see a need to have faith-based therapists. Talk about um, two things come to mind. You said a phrase I wrote down as you were talking with this woman in Peru about her rape, and it's, it's, I bet it helped her to be able to open up and talk about it, but you used the phrase, a unifying moment. Yeah. Share with our listeners more about that phrase. Sure. I mean, in my podcast, something that I, I say at the beginning of every episode is um, that we find unity through seeking understanding, healing, connection, and love. And in that moment with this woman, I, I really felt, I mean, there was this opportunity to seek understanding, seek where she was coming from. And then as you do that, as you are vulnerable, it really connects you to other people. And it's a very powerful and unifying moment. That's great. I love that. And why don't you, well, I want to talk about your podcast in a second. So talk about um, just the process to then start your own practice. If there's people listening that want to do what Valerie's doing and maybe thinking about going to get a master's and thinking that might lead to their own practice. Just kind of walk us through how that worked for you. Sure. Um, for me, first of all, it, it started as a thought. As I mentioned, I had a couple of friends share their story with me. Actually, for a couple of years ago, I, I've always grown up with people who... Um, identify as gay. I mean, I was in theater in high school in LA. So just a lot of um, diversity there. That wasn't something new for me, but um, I would say within the past five years, I had a, a lot of my friends who were members of the church come out to me, which was very different for me. I, I just, it was within the, you know, five years, I felt like a lot of people had come out. And um, as I was talking to some of them, um, I kind of, you know, expressed, was toying with this idea of starting a private practice. And so many of them were so supportive of me and said, we need someone like you. We need someone who is a person of faith. And a couple of them actually expressed their own experience with therapists, how they felt some of them weren't supportive in their desire if they like chose to be celibate or um, if they did desire mixed orientation marriage. And um, which is interesting to me because a huge factor of therapy is client self-determination. So I found that really interesting that this was happening to them. And actually on my podcast, I have one of my friends, Michael Gasparo, talk about his experience. Um, he's actually Catholic, not a member of our faith, but um, a devout Catholic and um, wants to live within what he feels is um, his mission in life. Um, which is to live a celibate life or marriage, kind of, you know, figuring out his calling within the Catholic faith because there are different, you know, avenues to go. Um, so anyway, that's what kind of inspired the idea to start. As far as starting my private practice, um, I, it's, it's so funny. It was a couple of years ago and I don't remember everything, but I just remember delving into laws. <laughs> you know, you have I'll to figure bet. out legally what you're allowed to do, what you can't do. Um, I use a platform called Simple Practice, which is really helpful for people who are starting. Um, you just pay a monthly fee and then everything is HIPAA compliant, which makes it really nice. Um, but I've, I have had some friends, uh, members of my cohort who have started their private practice and reached out with a couple of questions. And yeah, I think it's it's a learning experience and it's different also depending what state you're in because the laws are different in every state. How many hours, how many hours a week do you spend on your private practice? Yeah, for me, I actually work very short 
time, about five to 10 hours a week because I have a full-time job as well. Um, so, but it's something I'm passionate about. So it's nice to work for myself where I can kind of decide how many hours I want to work um, in my private practice. Talk about this phrase, client self-determination. Yeah. The idea behind client self-determination is really that when a client comes in, they they should have the right to meet what, or decide what their treatment goals are. So um, for example, I think this is what's kind of tricky. And I heard an episode you had um, where one of the people you were interviewing talked about when children are brought and the parents say, oh, like help my child. And the child's like, I got nothing going, like I'm fine. Um, that's kind of a good example of like the, the child isn't really deciding like <laughs> what their goal is, right? It's the parent kind of pushing that. Um, so the idea behind client self-determination is just that like if a client comes in and they're like, I want to work in, on my anxiety, that you're going to work on anxiety. Um, if someone comes in and they say like, I am a devout member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and I don't drink coffee and that's really important to me to not drink coffee, that you're going to support where they're coming from and not have your own bias come in and, and um, influence how you're providing therapy. I like that. Um, that's a phrase that a therapist taught me five or six years ago when I first stepped in this space because I, I obviously want everybody in my circle to stay in the faith that I believe in, but I recognize for some people, they felt their path was a different path. And I gradually sort of adopted I just sort of felt good with some of the things that therapists taught me is I wouldn't invite them in a path. I would, but I'd let them self-determine their path. And then I would walk with them on that path and help them make the very best decisions on the path that they felt was right. And obviously you wouldn't let a seven-year-old do that, (laughs) but an adult that's sort of, you know, and I think that's part of our doctrine of agency is we let people self-determine their path and mortality, even if it's a path that we personally don't feel comfortable with or agree with, or is the path of our faith traditions. Uh, it, it just exp- Do you get in situations where there's people that are stepping away from the church and you're helping them just do that the best way they can? I don't know the vocabulary, even though you, you want, you are in the church and maybe would generally invite people to stay in the church. It's complicated. Any principles that help would help our listeners as they're navigating that? Yeah. I mean, often when people reach out to me, they're looking for a faith-based therapist. And honestly, sometimes I've had agnostic or um, atheist individuals reach out to me and ask me those same questions, like how would that impact therapy? And for me, something I like to have a conversation with my clients as far as like, how do you feel? Do you want me to bring in scripture? Do you not want scripture at all? Of course, for an atheist, that, that's kind of clear <laughs> that that's what the answer is going to be. But for me, I, I generally like to um, just see where the client's at because some clients are coming to me because they want me to incorporate that spiritual aspect into therapy and some clients are not. So for me, it's more of just having a, a conversation and setting up expectations. As far as someone who's leaving the church, my main question is why are they coming to me for therapy? Are they coming because they're trying to navigate like, what am I going to do? Am I going to stay in the church? Am I going to stay out of the church? And to me, like the deeper issue is what's going on. And I would say that there's probably a lot of anxiety going there on there. So let's work on the anxiety. So I try to treat more of like um, what the underlying issue is as opposed to make a decision. for. I'm never going to make a decision for someone. That's something they have to come to themselves. Does that answer your question? And I, 
I think about that a little bit is in the context of my YSC bishop assignment when I, um, I had obviously active LDS people meeting with me in my ward, but I connected with a lot that weren't attending regularly. And, and often I'd let them kind of set the agenda of, of how I could help them. I wasn't a therapist, but often they, they didn't want to fully participate in the church. They did, that wasn't really in their immediate radar, really, but they needed my help for other things in their life to solve addictions, to have better financial tools, to solve complicated family situations, to open doors for education. And I felt comfortable that my role in their life um, didn't need to be conditional on them attending church. Um, and I just felt I could help them the way they sort of self-determined that I could help them. And so I've kind of thought about that as a therapist. I'm not a therapist, obviously, as a local priesthood leader, and we got really good therapists involved, and I wouldn't ever want to communicate that local leaders should be therapists, but there's some of the same principles that apply in both of those worlds. Any more thoughts on that before we move on? I guess one other thought, just as you were speaking, is I, I do think it's it's different to being in a role of a bishop or a leader than it is as a therapist. As a therapist, I really have a seat on the back. I'm not, I don't have a personal relationship with these people outside of therapy. Um, it, it's just, it, it looks different. And so in that way, it gives me more freedom to really meet them where they're at and to work with them on what they're working on. And um yeah, I, that was I, just a thought. That I came. think that's true, and there is a difference. And I think um, a local leader does have a, re, a mantle of responsibility there, and at times to invite and encourage and and to act on the spiritual impressions you have because you have priesthood responsibility or local leadership responsibility. Um, talk about. I love. Um, there are a lot of people that are LGBTQ and LDS and want to stay in the church, and they do want a therapist that will affirm that path. And I reckon, I, and I do meet people at times that are looking for a therapist that will do that. And there's sometimes this narrative to live your truth. Um, you've, got to, you've got to choose a certain path, which is the path of being in a same-sex relationship. Mm -hmm. And I've, I wrote about that in the book, that to me, choosing your truth, it shouldn't be a societal narrative for you. It should be based on your individual personal revelation for your path. And we shouldn't create a narrative if you're LGBTQ that one path is more authentic than another path. And I think sometimes then connecting with a therapist like you that will help valid, help make that road possible if that's what someone's road is, is really important. More mm -hmm. thoughts on that idea? Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. I I feel like it's honestly a disservice if any therapist tells someone how they ought to be living. I think people have to come to that themselves. Of course, there are situations like, you know, sexual offenders and things like that. That might be a little different. Um, but yeah, no, I think that it's very important to meet people where they're at and to give them the opportunity to live life how they feel is right. And I think that's kind of a tricky thing right now is I feel like a lot of assumptions are made about groups of people. And sometimes that's an assumption that's made that in order to be happy, you have to be living like a certain way, kind of like what you were saying. And if you don't live that way, you're not being true and you're not being authentic. And I don't think that's fair for anyone to tell anyone else what is what, what makes them happy. And so I, I think that's something that's really personal. Um, and like you said, you know, that's something for people to receive personal revelation on themselves. You know, it's really between us and God, no one else. 
And so, yeah, I like those thoughts you shared. If there's listeners that are LGBTQ would like to reach out to you as a potential therapist or LDS parents, I get a lot of message from LDS parents looking for therapists for their LGBTQ youth. How are you in a situation where you are taking on new clients or can recommend um, therapists that would be helpful in this space? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I have a couple of openings, um, but if I'm not able to take someone, I can definitely refer them to a therapist who is, you know, a faith-based therapy therapist who's familiar with this population. And we'll put Valerie's contact information in the podcast description. So if you go to your phone and scroll down, um, we'll have a way for you to reach Valerie if you yes, want to. Yeah. My, my website is ValeriePainTherapy.com. There you go. So, yeah. Valerie, will you spell it out, lo- yeah. out for us? V-A-L-E-R-I-E-P-A-Y-N-E therapy.com. That's great. Yeah. Um, I'd love to have you talk about, um, unless there's anything more you want to talk about your work as a licensed clinical social worker, I'd love to have you talk about your podcast. Sure. Yeah. Just tell us why you decided to start a podcast, a little bit about it, its name and stuff like that. Yeah. So um, I had an experience. So the reason I started this podcast is I had an experience that for me was a very divisive experience and I was really angry about it. And I... Now you've got my attention. (laughs) I was heated. And I thought, oh, I'm like, I'm so angry. What am I going to do? And I was talking to a couple of friends and I actually thought like, maybe I'll take this to the news. You know, maybe I'll, I'll, you know, make a big stink about this because I'm so angry about what happened. And the more I thought about that, I was actually talking to a friend of mine and my friend had mentioned, I don't, I don't even remember what he said, to be honest, but he said something like, you would be so great, like on a podcast or something to that effect. And I don't know why that really hit me. And I thought, you know what? Like, this isn't the way to go about it. Like I have, if I go to the news, they have power over my story and they have, they can make it contentious. And, and of course I was angry. And at the time I was like, let's make it contentious. But, um, I really, I realized, you know, there is a greater way to approach this and that's through unity. And that's why I am kind of vague about my experience and what happened because I feel like it it can be controversial what happened. And um, my big takeaway is, was um, this can be a way to bridge gaps and this can be a way to find unity. And I really felt that prompting. And I remember talking to a friend of mine at the beginning of the year and she asked what my goals were. And this was um, kind of in the middle of when this experience was happening to me. And um, it was in January and I, I said, one of my goals is, is to really search unity and to study unity. And so I, I kind of had all of these thoughts coming to me and then really, yeah, I was like, I'm going to start a podcast. And I had a friend at the time who had a podcast, um, which was on your show, Andy Proctor. Amazing. He's wonderful. And was so helpful and so kind to me truly lives his principles of positive psychology. He does. <laughs> yes. He's great. And gave me kind of some tips in starting a podcast. And um, it has been an incredible journey, an incredible experience. I've loved every minute of it. It's been awesome. Talk about um, how people, I, I read through your podcast description, just talk about some of these words, finding unity through seeking understanding, connection, healing, and love. As you wrote that podcast description, if I've got it right, mm-hmm. Valerie, my guess is you spent a lot of time 
choosing those words. Mm-hmm. Just share with us those words, um, any that are important to you and why you chose those words. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because I remember when you were on my podcast, you talked about having a life mission statement. And I know that when I started this podcast, I, um, yeah, I, I wanted a mission statement with it so that I could kind of, you know, focus. And for me, and of course there are so many answers to unity, but for some reason, these were four that stuck out to me. And so for me, seeking understanding in my mind is having people on with different backgrounds from me and to really learn from their experience. Healing is the mental health side of me. I I wanted to talk about um, mental health and um, aspects of unity within ourselves and with others. Um, Connection. I just, you know, felt, I I feel even before COVID, I felt we were in a society that was really becoming further and further separated. And how can we connect? And I believe connection is also through hearing people's stories. And then love kind of like your podcast, you know, I think the key is love and kind of going back to when we were talking about bishops and their mantle and, you know, working with LGBT populations, like the the bottom line principle, like Corinthians, you know, 13, it's love, it's charity. Like that's what the core of the gospel is. And so, so those were the four things that really stuck out to me. Uh, Tell our listeners how to find your podcast. Sure. Um, It's on most major platforms on Apple, Spotify, um, Overcast. So you can kind of go to your preferred podcast platform and look for Finding Unity. Um, And then you can also find me on Instagram at finding.unity. And I actually want to put out if there are listeners who feel like they would like to share their story, um, they can email me at findingunityproject at gmail.com. That's great. I hope people do list, reach out to you. And, and your how many episodes have you produced? <laughs> That's a good question. I actually <laughs> don't know the answer. Um, we have, we're on our second season and I've That's done great. it in seasons just to balance my work and my life. Because you've got a lot going yeah, on. Yeah, there's a lot going on. We'll so. just say you're in your second season. Yes. <laughs> without pinning you to a specific number that'll mm-hmm. probably change. I just think it's great that you acted on this impression to do a podcast. Thank you. And that you're having guests on. You've had some of my favorite people on your podcast. Will Edgel, I think I mentioned these already. Andy Proctor, we've talked about. Jared Halverson. Um, there was one I just noticed today about someone talking openly about his pornography. Oh, yeah. Um, Braden Eads, yeah. Braden, if you're mm-hmm. listening, way to go. And I just think um, taking the shame away from pornography is one of the key ways of solving pornography. I was honored to have an article in the October Ensign that just came out. Awesome. On about, it's about my thoughts as a non-therapist, but coming from YSA Bishop, seven tips for solving pornography. I think it's on like page 82. Awesome. In the printed Ensign. But it's just, it's not a, it's not a article about avoiding pornography. I think people understand the importance of avoiding, but it's sort of like if that becomes part of your life, what, what can you do to solve it? And shame's, you know, so talking about it often is really helpful to solve it. Yeah. And actually, like, this is a little bit of a side note, but that's something I've really been thinking about a lot. Like we talk about, I, you know, on my podcast connection and I feel like I believe the adversary works in isolation. And one of those things is when we go down the shame cycle, you know, Helaman 512 talks about how when we're not founded on, you know, the rock of our redeemer then Satan will drag us down, you know, and that's his goal is to, to drag us down. And so I think, um, 
And I think there's just so many principles about connection and ways to find unity through the temple, just different things. Um, so I love that you put that um, article out. I'm excited to read it. Yeah, and I, I don't know what page I said, but it's on page 72 of the October end sign. And okay. I, on a few pages before that, I have a little lead in page 68 with some of my thoughts. But I actually love what you just said, where f- what you said on Helaman 5, the rock. Just say that again for our listeners. We're founded on... Yeah, um, the rock of our Redeemer. It's a scripture mastery for those old school <laughs> I sh- <laughs> old school people. But um, yeah, no, it just talks about how um, when we are founded on Jesus Christ, that that's what really prevents the adversary from dragging us down into misery and endless woe. And so I think that that's, and I don't know, I have, I have so many thoughts, <laughs> but I feel like when we go to, if we want to kind of shift to conference a little, cause Good. this is, we are recording this just right after general conference, which I felt was so centered on unity. And, um, so I, I was just, I was thinking actually about um, Sister Eubanks, which maybe not everyone heard that talk because it was in the women's session, but she talked a lot about unity and um, she specifically talked about, um, I, I believe it's her own quote, but it's from the, the book, um, The Boys in the Boat. And um, I actually have it a quote, if that's okay, if, I, if you don't mind me reading it. Go for it. Okay. So... Okay, so she says, and this is talking about the boat, okay? There's this thing that sometimes happen that is hard to achieve and hard to define. It's called swing. It happens only when all are rowing in such perfect unison that not a single action is out of sync. Rowers must rein their fierce independence and at the same time hold true to their individual capabilities. Races are not won, won by clones. Good crews are good blends. Someone to lead the charge someone to hold something in reserve, someone to fight the fight, someone to make peace. No rower is more valuable than another. All are assets to the boat, but if they are to row well together, each must adjust to the needs and capabilities of others. The shorter arm person reaching a little farther, the longer arm person pulling in just a bit. Differences can be turned to advantage instead of disadvantage. Only then will it feel as if the boat is moving on its own. Only then does pain give way entirely to exaltation? Good swing feels like poetry. And I just love that quote so much because I I think about unity and and how some people may feel isolated, whether that's members of the LGBT community, whether that's people of a different race who feel like they're not the predominant race. And what I love about this um, quote is it talks about how the key, or I'm sorry, I want to mention too, or if we're members of a different different political party, because I feel like it's so polarized right now, and I, I think sometimes it's easy to forget that we're all in the boat. And I, this also, this quote by Sister Eubanks reminded me of, I think it was Elder Ballard who talked about like staying in the boat. He had like a few talks on that. And my main thought during her talk was, where's the boat going? Right? Mm. Like, where's the boat headed? And I think that's the key kind of going back to this, you know, Helaman 512, the rock of our redeemer. And how can we stay on this path? And sometimes it's really easy and we, we want to be like up, I don't belong in the boat. But when we put ourselves in the boat with all of our different talents, then we can work together in a unified manner and have this swing towards Christ. So that's cool. <laughs> Where is the boat going? Swing to Christ and all we this beautiful diversity that Paul talks about in Corinthians. I love 
him going through the parts of the body and every part is yeah. worthy and needed. That seems very consistent with what Sister Eubanks is sharing. Mm-hmm. And your point about where the boat is going and being unified in that, but needing the diversity to accomplish that, I really like. Yeah. And I think about too, I know you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like me being a single member of the church and... Yeah, talk about that. Yeah. In a very a married cultural, you're in a church that, I, you know, the right, you know, the vocabulary better than I do, but it's a, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of talk about being married. Yeah. And I have a lot of friends who, who struggle with being in a family ward because they feel isolated and they feel like they don't belong. And for me personally, I believe, um, and this is my experience and my story. So if you disagree, that's okay. That's another thing I also say in my podcast a lot is it's okay to disagree. Unity comes when we can agree to disagree and still maintain love. So it's okay if you disagree with me, but I believe that labels, um, they can be helpful, but they can be um, really disunifying as well. And an example of that is, um, I think about an experiential activity that therapists do, life coaches do, where they take a can of something and they say, tell me about the can. What is this? And people are like, oh, it's a can of beans. It's got protein in it. It's got this many calories. And then you have them open up the can and there's peaches inside or candy inside. There's someone, something totally different inside the can. And I think that it goes down to, I don't identify myself as a single person. That is not who I am. I'm not married yet. That's a part of who I am, but I am not single. I am a child of God. That's who I really am. And um, I love, I'm, I'm such a nerd. I love Disney <laughs> and I love the Lion King. And I love, there's a part in the Lion King where, where, you know, Simba, he, he's left his, and I know it's a fictional story, but I think there's a lot of gospel truth. And, you know, we believe in all things virtuous, good, lovely, praiseworthy. Um, but in the Lion King, you know, Simba thinks he's killed his father and he feels like an outcast and he leaves and he goes in this land of Akuna Matata, where literally means no worries, which I did not know until I went to Kenya, <laughs> literally means no worries. And um, he's really lost his sense of purpose and identity. And it's not until Rafiki comes and kind of knocks him on the head and, and tells him, you know, oh, I know your father. And he's like, what? You know, my, you know, my father. And he kind of runs and sees his reflection. He says, that's not my father. That's just my reflection. And he takes a look deeper and Rafiki says, you know, you know, your father lives in you. And um, then, you know, Mufasa comes and that big scene where he says, remember who you are. And I think we live in a society right now that really causes us to forget who we really are at the core. And I'm not saying to not um, embrace pieces of who we are and our identity, because I think culture is beautiful. And I think there's so much beauty that is brought to the boat, going back to that boat analogy, right? There's so much beauty that comes in the boat. But I think when we, when we forget who we are at the core and we're not, that's not our focus, Christ isn't our focus. That's when we can kind of lose course or maybe fall out of the boat. I love that. I love that movie too, The Lion King. It's great, yeah. One and two. Talk about um, some of the, you know, people that are my heroes, were my heroes, were the single women in my YSA ward, especially the ones that were in their late 20s and sort of getting ready to leave the YSA ward at age 30, I think they left, or 31, and 
I didn't always know what to say to them. Um, will, will you give advice to bishops, family members, grandparents, just people that may be having conversations with LDS women, unmarried, at I guess at any age, I was thinking especially late 20s when perhaps the reality of that they may not get married mm-hmm. in their 30s, um, but may still get married. Just any advice for us to not add to someone's burden? Sure. And, you know, it's tricky because I'm just a little bit different the way I think. So again, remember, this is my experience and where mm-hmm. I'm coming from. Um, but for me, I remember the transition from a YSA award to a family ward was really hard at first. Um, because I was coming from this place. I don't know. I just had a a lot of irrational thoughts. Like we talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. I had a lot of irrational thoughts and thinking (laughs) errors. And when I went to the family ward, I was like, do not treat me like a special person because you think I'm a project. That was my big thing. And I remember someone coming up to me and be like, we're just so happy to have you. And I was like, ew, ew, that just happened. You know, they're, they're looking at me as a project. And I realized honestly, like I was making myself a victim. Interesting. And I came into that and I was creating these, I had these perceived ideas of how people were viewing me and what people were thinking. And so I guess going back to your question of how can leaders treat these people for me, it's just treat me like a normal person. Treat me as a child of God, because when you focus on the label of single, you're forgetting who I really am. That's really good advice. My wife used to tell both the elders quorum and the Relief Society, she says it's I'm paraphrasing. She says it's better to be wish you, oh, it's better to wish you were married. Well, she was sort of making the point it's better to be single and wish you be married, but versus being married and wish you were single. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think she was trying to teach that culture. There's so much momentum caught up in getting married that she wanted to she wanted to slow the YSAs down a little bit. Mm-hmm and make sure they were getting married for the right reasons and not just because of cultural pressure and the, all the expectations and just to do it based on it being the right thing for them. So I think culturally there's a lot of pressure sometimes. Um, I always felt like I wanted the YSAs to feel complete now, that that wasn't a future thing that happened when they were married or when they had their endowment or when they had their graduate degree. And maybe that comes back to what you're teaching is if Helaman 5, your rock is Jesus Christ, so you're complete now. Mm-hmm. If, if you truly own this relationship with heavenly parents and the Savior, you can control that. And that's where your self-worth really should be. And it's totally within your control. Mm-hmm. And these other things that are outside of your control, um, it's good not to have your self-worth tied into things outside of your control. Well, you know, you saying that reminded me of an experience I had actually. Um, so when I was in Los Angeles, I was um, had the opportunity to be in the Stake Relief Society presidency back cool. there. And we had Al Fox Caraway come. She's great. Yeah, the tattooed Mormon. And it was interesting because I was in the presidency. I was able to do a luncheon with her before. And I asked her, I said, what was dating like for you? You know, was that tricky? And um, yeah, tell me, tell me a little bit about that. And you know, cause I'm so curious. I love hearing people's stories. And she said, well, I realized something, something to this effect. I can't remember word for word what she said, but she expressed, how could I even focus on a relationship with a man when I haven't even like focused on my relationship with the, the only man I really have in my life, which is God. 
And that really hit me. And I think that, you know, maybe there are cultural aspects to marriage, but I do believe in the family. I believe that that's so important, but I also believe that we have to, our relationship really needs to be between us and God. What we do in life has to be between us and God. It can't be because of, you know, extrinsic motivations. It has to be intrinsic. And so, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's kind of, I've honestly been super grateful for my experiences not being married. I would have loved to be married. I, in my mind, I was like, I'm going to have be married when I'm 18 and have like seven kids by the time I'm, I don't know how mathematically that works, but you know, just go, go through that. But I feel like my time has really helped me to grow, grow closer to Jesus Christ. And I will say that a lot of my friends who are members of the LGBTQ community, whether they identify as that or same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, whatever they may identify as, um, they're the most spiritual people I know. And that's both in my faith and outside of my faith. I have a few friends that are not members of our faith. And um, it's been such a pleasure to associate with them because they're some of the best people I know. I love that segment. Al Caraway is somebody I really admire. She was on episode 114 at our podcast. And Great. Um, what a wonderful woman, what a wonderful convert. Um, she has a young, cute young family that I see on social media and just a wonderful person to help us do better culturally sometimes. Um, I love that she just owns her tats and it's just part of her identity. And but I, I think we need, I use, I think she's teaching us not to judge people. She obviously feels judged at times because of her tats and people don't see her heart and her goodness and her life mission. And I think that her personal ministry in that area is helping us do better. Um, what would you say to your 15 year old self? Cause here you are 20 years, roughly yeah. um, your 15 year old self. That's, Maya maids. We're not doing Maya maids anymore, but I think that's what, that's the age group. I, we're, I, I'm assuming at that point you, you're, you imagine in 20 years from now at, from 15, you'd be married and have a family. Mm -hmm. And so your life hasn't turned out the way exactly you thought it would. What would you just say to 15 year olds, um, to yourself and to maybe other 15 year olds to kind of prepare yourself and others that things may not turn out as planned and, and just sort of thoughts on how to navigate that if it happens. Yeah. Those are some really good questions. <laughs> That's a couple, like a whole yeah. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think a couple of thoughts that have come to me. Um, one is I go, it goes back to like stay in the boat. Um, and this is of course, from my experience, I've always, I just, I've been really blessed to have a close relationship to Heavenly Father. I really feel his presence in my life. And, and, um, it's, it's been a journey. I've, I've definitely had ups and downs. It's not easy. Um, especially during COVID-19, you know, having moments where you come on home and you're like, there's nobody, <laughs> you know, there's like nobody. Um, it's but, honest. but that's why I have such a testimony of the family because I do have my family. I may not be married, but I still have a family. And, um, I think that for me, the church is just as true outside as it is inside. I'm just as single in the church as I am. I'm sorry. I don't like that word. I'm just as, you know, not married <laughs> as like in the church as, as I am out of the church. And that my, my status, my marital status doesn't change based on if I leave or not. And so I look at gospel principles and I have a testimony of them. I believe there's so much 
um, power in things like the law of chastity. You know, I think about like, if we really taught and focused on, on waiting until marriage, like if you think about it, the prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until about the age of 25. So not even talking about like, you know, possibilities of getting pregnancy, but when you just talk about like the psychological impact of sexual intimacy and how that can impact someone at a young age, if we really taught kids about the, the negative consequences emotionally of intimacy and what that might do, then like how much better would the mental health be of people? I don't know that that's my perspective. And and those are my thoughts about that, but great thoughts. I believe that, that there's just so much, I just have a testimony of all of those things, you know, the word of wisdom, all of those things make logical sense to me. And so, um, whenever it's interesting, you mentioned the age of 15, I remember listening to a general conference talk, maybe when I was around that age of, um, someone talking about a 12 year old who decided she was just gonna kind of stay in while she was trying to figure out if the church was true or not until, because there was no harm in, in living in the church. And so, um, I guess my, my main thoughts to someone who is 15 or to my 15 year old self, if I was having doubts would be like, what do you have to lose? Is there something to lose? And maybe for some people, that's a real question. And maybe they do feel like there's something to lose, but I think that's a, a question to ask yourself and to come to that, you know, yourself. That's a really good segment. Um, as I'm listening to you talk, I love just you bringing everything back to your relationship with Heavenly Father and the Savior in Helaman 5. And I just think that's such an important thing to do for all of us. And that gives us a foundation to sort of navigate a lot of the different things that come our way that are outside of our control. Um, I just love this idea of creating self-worth and value around things we can control, like our relationship with Heavenly Father and the Savior. Mm -hmm. And that gives us then perhaps the foundation to manage different difficult things that come our way. Yeah. Um, that I think as I age up, I'm more aware of that in my own life and people I love and just everybody. I think life gets really hard. It's definitely hard right yeah. now for COVID. You come home to an empty home. <laughs> but I still have love. You but know, you I have my have family. Love. You know, they're not physically there, <laughs> but they're a phone call away. So that's been great. And I think about too, if it's, if it's, you know, I think about, I've been thinking a lot about doubting Thomas and I think about, you know, people who maybe have questions of faith. And I loved having that um, podcast episode with Jared Halverson. He's great. That was an amazing episode. I love talking to him. It, it was very insightful, but something I've been thinking about is doubting Thomas. And this, just what happens with him. And it's interesting because in um, John, he talks about how, like, it talks about how Christ came and he wasn't within. And so my question is, that's interesting. Like, why wasn't he within? Where was he? Like, we don't really ever talk about that. Where was Thomas? Like, why wasn't he there? And like, I don't want to judge the guy. I don't know him, <laughs> but I just think it's interesting. And what's interesting to me about these scriptures is he says, um, that like, he won't believe, right? He's like, until I see it, like, I'm not going to believe. But the interesting, the interesting thing to me is that when Christ comes again in John verse 26, it says that Thomas was within and, and then that's when the savior came. And so, and then Christ says to be believing. And so I think it's interesting to me, or it says, 
just to clarify, it says that Thomas was with them. And so I thought, I thought that was interesting to me because that's interesting. Even though Thomas was like, well, unless I see him, like, I'm not going to believe he still was within. And so again, like this is my bias and obviously my testimony of the gospel, but I just believe there's so much power if we stay within and that's how Christ can manifest himself to us. Again, like if we stay within the boat, you know? That's great. I love the way you're using, wish our listeners could see Valerie. She's got, you know, she's laughing now that I'm sharing this. She's got her triple combination. She's got her Bible. They're well-worn. I can just tell how fundamental they are to her life. <clears throat> Excuse me. And her mission and and the principles that the scriptures teach that are part of her life, I would think help her in all aspects of her life. She probably doesn't pull out the scriptures during a therapy session. There's probably core foundational principles that are applied to the things you're t- helping um, your therapist that are just core life principles that are consistent with the scriptures. Let's talk about conference. Um, just share with our listeners why you enjoyed conference and what and the things that stood out to you? Yeah. I mean, I loved conference because I felt like there was such a focus on unity, which is something I'm very, and, but to be honest, to be hundred percent honest, I, I really felt that way about April as well. And so I don't know if it's just my, my perception, like I'm only seeing unity or if it's something I really need to learn. Um, but I loved all of the talks. I loved how it was focused on unity and how, again, our core identity, I felt like it was really focused on that we are children of God. And I love what um, like Elder Cook said, you know, like unity and diversity aren't opposites. We can achieve greater unity as we foster an atmosphere of inclusion and respect for diversity. So he's not saying like totally get rid of diversity, but he's saying like we foster unity when we have this inclusive environment. And I believe when we have that core foundation of, of Jesus Christ. That was a fascinating quote to me. It was the, I think it was the one quote that I wrote down and put on Instagram. Unity and diversity are not opposites. We can achieve greater unity as we foster an atmosphere of inclusion and respect for diversity. Yeah. It's just, a, it's worth thinking. I've thought about that a lot, Valerie. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never, I've always believed that. But just to hear it like that is very helpful for me. Just more thoughts on that quote or how it applies in different political views or different races or different sexual gender orientations, mm-hmm. anywhere you want to go with that on a practical level? Well, I think there are beautiful things about different aspects of diversity. Like when we look at um, like cultural background um, aspects, like there are some things that, and, and it's a little tricky here because I don't want to generalize any group of people, but I, I guess I would say, generally speaking, we all bring something to the table and that's something beautiful. And I think it was in Elder Cook's talk where he also talked about culture and how sometimes we have to leave things behind, but there are beautiful things to culture that we can bring in. And it's really, is this a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ? And, and I think there's so many wonderful attributes that um, people who experience same-sex attraction or members of the LGBT community have a different racial background, um, are married, non-married, divorced, widowed. All of us like bring such a different... Um, insight and experience that allows us to have swing and <laughs> going back to that boat quote that I think is so powerful and beautiful. Um, I like, I, I put on, you know, we're recording this about a month before the election and um, that's obviously 
Um, I'm 60 now, and it seems like every election is the election for our lifetime and the election for a generation. And there's a lot of, obviously, focus on elections nationally and state and local. And I've tried to figure out principles that apply to keep us together as the same human family and honor political differences. And yeah. I don't talk much about politics on social media. It's interesting. I talk a lot about LGBTQ, which is often pretty complicated. Um, but I think in some ways politics is even more complicated because I haven't figured a way to talk about politics on social media, except in generalities. Yeah. I don't usually talk about my own political feelings on social media or in this podcast. But I did make this Instagram post, um, justify your political position based on the facts of your position, not by demonizing the other side, not by making up accepting or sharing conspiracy theories, theories, not by using God or Satan in a manipulative way. And I think that's what our mission president taught us in England, Valerie, and I wrote about this in my book. He felt like the culture in England for us in 1980 when we served as missionaries was too much us versus the Church of England, we sort of made it all about how bad they were instead of talking about how good we were mm-hmm. and the beautiful truths of our of our restored doctrine. And so he wanted to break the culture, and he had an all-mission conference in a Church of England and yeah. had the vicar speak to us. And so it happened right before I got there, and I just and it changed the culture of our mission. We didn't have to see the Church of England as the bad guys. Yeah. They were just a, another religion, and we could have a fact-based discussion about the difference between our doctrine and their doctrine without sort of demonizing them or talking about how their churches are empty or they're a paid ministry or just things that, and it, it just changed our mission culture, and it changed me because I just learned that we're all the same human family, and what he did for me at age 19 was a huge gift. It forever changed my life. That's yeah. Ellis Ivory, who was in his 30s, listeners, when he was our mission president. We just celebrated his 80th birthday last month. So my mission president, I'm 60, and my mission president is alive. <laughs> He's only 20 years older than me, roughly, so it's kind of crazy. Um, but some of you may know Ellis and Katie Ivory. Any thoughts on, that's me talking more than I like to, but any just thoughts on... Um, having pretty, pretty strong political feelings, but feeling like this goes on in a lot of active at Latter-day Saint families where there's consistent feelings about the church, but in that same family, there's very different feelings about politics. Mm-hmm. Just share with us some thoughts you have on all of that. Yeah. I will say with my podcast, Finding Unity, it does not mean I'm an expert at unity. I actually started <laughs> the podcast because I I wanted to learn more and how I could bridge gaps. And a lot of the guests I've had on have been incredible of giving such amazing insights in how we can bridge these gaps. But politically, what you speak of, uh, something I've thought about a lot because you're right, it is so heated right now. It's so polarizing. And I think um, there's a book called Crucial Conversations and that book's amazing. And I, I think that the the very first point of that book or of that, when it talks about having a crucial conversation is it says, start with heart. And I feel like there's so much power with that idea where if you, um, and actually I've, I've seen that myself. I remember um, having something happen and I talked to someone about what had happened and I knew this individual was probably going to have a different political idea than I did or thoughts. 
And, but something had happened. I was really upset about, and I, I kind of needed someone to talk to about it. And so I, I said, look, I know you're probably going to have a different opinion than I have on this, but if you can just hear where I'm coming from and, and, um, they were just so loving. And then that person was able to share their perspective. And I think sometimes when we talk about politics, we're, we're doing this, like, gotcha, gotcha. Like, you know, this is what I believe. Look at my stats. We're not really listening to hear where people are coming from and seeing their perspective. And it's okay to disagree. And I, I think that's a big problem too, is, as I mentioned earlier, we're in this society now where we think you have to agree with me or you're a bad person instead of saying we can agree to disagree and love each other still. So I, that's kind of a principle I'm, I'm trying to follow. And, and I think it's tricky so much for so many right now, but I'm trying to just talk in person to people who have different perspectives than I do. I don't think social media is the place to do it. I think a lot can be missed when you're making a post, but I'm um, actually having real conversations with people and starting with heart, I think is a good way to start. I love that. I love the way you led into that conversation. You sort of disarmed the person you were talking to with your lead in. So if you had had that conversation with me, it's very disarming the way you started that. Um, and I love that. And I do agree. There's content on either side to sort of go. I mean, it's easy to find content on either side of the aisle that, you know, that are, that can justify your opinion or people that have performed poorly on either side of the aisle or have personal stories that aren't stellar. And I just recognize there's plenty of content there, mm -hmm. but I just think if we can keep it fact-based and not emotional and um, create space for people to have different political opinions and, and be okay with that in our families and our church. I love our church, but I do recognize that um, it's generally a dominantly politically conservative culture. Um, that may not be true everywhere. And um, so if you're not part of that general conservative culture, you may feel like people like you aren't as welcome. And you may feel conversations at church that sort of talk about one political party in a better way than another political party. And I think our leaders and what I see our leaders saying is there's principles of the gospel of Jesus Christ in both parties. I'm paraphrasing a quote that came out this week because I think our leaders are nervous about that and want um, the members of our church to come together as the same human family with political differences. Yeah. And I think going along with that, the only way we can really come to resolution and find unity is if we hear each other, because maybe we hear each other. And sometimes I feel like we, and this is something I've learned with, you know, Jan Saeed, who was on Jared Halverson, but like, sometimes if we take a step back, we realize we have the same goal. Sometimes we don't, but sometimes we do. And I think, I think sometimes we, we don't realize we have the same goal. I've seen that with a couple of different arguments. Um, I feel like we both have the same goal, but we have different ways of approaching it. And so maybe it's really taking a step back and, and looking at that. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's such a tricky time and difficult to navigate. And I will say, yes, maybe in the state of Utah, it's more conservative. Um, I know, I mean, I'm from Los Angeles. I know everyone who's listening is living in a different part of the country and may have a different experience. But I think the key is, is really like, how can we listen to each other and try to have resolution as we listen to each other and hear different perspectives? I like that. 
an author that you're familiar with, obviously, is Brene Brown. And as I've read some of her books, it's given me better tools to create space for people to have different beliefs than me and be more comfortable with that. And some of the narratives I've created, like you're either for us, you're against us, these binary narratives. Um, she uses some good examples. I can't remember which book it is, just to help me develop better tools. So I encourage listeners. Um, she's a social scientist, I believe is um, her core expertise, that she has been very helpful for me to create common ground um, for people in my life that are different. And it's really helped me. I haven't had to give up anything to do that. I didn't have to give up my doctrine or my personal beliefs. Um, but I just, I have less anxiety and less stress and I'm much more at peace just with people in my life and people in my social media feed that have different feelings about a bunch of different issues. Well, yeah, no, I think about something you said on my podcast where you'd mentioned like, I'm, I'm not the judge, you know, I'm, I'm not the judge of these people. And I think we have to remember that. And I think it's okay for people to advocate for their political beliefs. I think that's fine. But I also think we have to be in a space where we have to remember we are not their judge. And, and honestly, again, it comes back to our relationship with Heavenly Father. At the end of the day, it's between me and God. And all I can do is focus on my best self, advocate for my beliefs. And if someone has a different belief and they're advocating in a different way, that's okay. Like I have to be able to hold space for them too and recognize that that just because my relationship is in a different spot, it doesn't mean it's it's right or better than someone else's. Talk about, I just want to read a scripture, Moses 7, 18. Um, that scripture, and the Lord called his people Zion because they were of one heart and one mind and dwelt in righteousness and there was no poor among them. So when you talk about we have the same goal, um, that's a really, that ties into this scripture because I look at Latter-day Saints sitting in this congregation, we have the same goal to become the Zion people and to help everybody come unto Christ and, and keep our families together. And, and in this example, no poor among them. But to me, that doesn't mean we're all the same. Mm-hmm. So to me, one heart and one mind, I've heard that weaponized sometimes in our culture where sort of get with the program or believe like everybody else is in our congregation. But I would want to create space that, going back to your point, that the goal is the important thing. And if we have a goal to become a Zion people, let's make that the focus of the goal and not everybody having the same feeling about everything, um, you know, politically, for example, in our congregations or best way to help LGBTQ people or understand people of different races. We're just going to have differences. And instead of trying to homogenize everybody, let's homogenize the goal to your point, but let's, let's, it's Elder Cook's quote um, that we need this diversity to accomplish the goal. Perhaps the diversity is the means to the end. And part of the path to get there is the diversity. I'm thinking, I don't know if this is a good one, but I'm thinking of the handcart. I don't know. I'm not going to go down that road. They did have the same goal, but maybe they were and weren't successful. But I think our differences often help us be successful. Any more thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, when you were speaking, I was thinking of, you know, like the triangle analogy we use in marriage, you know, not to make anyone feel pressured if if they don't (laughs) feel like marriage is is in this life for them. But, um, you know, Christ and God, they're at the top, right? And then um, husband, wife are on the sides. And as they focus on the Savior, they naturally work towards each other closer and closer until they're one. And I think that 
again, that's this analogy going back to the boat. You know, if we're focused on the savior and understanding each other, and actually Sister Eubanks in her talk, she also says, um, I believe the change we seek in ourselves and in the groups we belong to will come less by activism and more by actively trying to understand one another. Why, she says, we are building Zion, a people of one heart and one mind. And so again, as husband and wife try to understand each other, but their main focus is the savior. That's when I think we truly find unity. And of course, this isn't um, a marriage analogy, but I think it applies to our relationships with one another as well. And that's Sister Eubanks, some October women's session. Just recently, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, I need to start going to the women's session more often. <laughs> it's awesome. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, yeah. Some of the best talks have come from the women's session. I'm a huge Sister Eubanks fan. Um, that's a great quote. That that really resonates with me. I'm going to reread that talk. Other thoughts on just subject on unity you want to share with our listeners? Um, I think it's okay. I guess the only other thought I really have regarding unity is I think it's okay to to realize like, you know, we are where we're at and and that everyone's bias is different. And I don't think it's fair to make an assumption that all people have the same bias or different biases, but like for me, it's very important for me to find unity to recognize what I struggle with and in ways that I have a hard time finding unity and to actively work on that when I'm ready to. You know, there's there's this phrase we often use. It's like find comfort in what's not comfortable. And I think there's a lot of power to that. But I also think we have to hold space and be ready when we're ready and not push ourselves before we're ready because that can cause more disunity. Um, but just, uh, you know, having self-awareness and and recognizing what's going on. And honestly, like, I mean, I know I've mentioned the Savior so much in this, but I just feel like there's so many powerful lessons that he's taught. And, and I ultimately think that as we strive to become closer to God and really stop worrying so much about what other people are doing and focus more on what we can do to better our relationship with Heavenly Father and with others, that that will create more unity. I like that. Um, This is a little bit of a tangent, but it was sort of on politics a little bit. And I tweeted out in September, (laughs) want to improve your emotional health, reduce fear in your life, see others in a better light and feel more hope. Stop watching cable news. (laughs) You can still stay informed, and I sort of suggest fact-based print media. Now, I don't want to condemn cable news as a binary, but I just, I, I, some YSAs that I met with, Valerie, and even in my own life, I've recognized that a lot of the cable news is, is so much fear generated about how bad the other side is that it's generating a lot of stress and anxiety in our own lives. And there's some comfort in hearing how bad the other side is and sort of confirming your own political position. But I worry about the anxiety and the emotional health. And so that's just a thought for listeners to find balance and where you're getting your news sources. I've watched less cable news and turned to print media. And some people on that Twitter feed had some really good suggestions on the right kind of print media. I like to stay informed. So it's not a put in my head in the sand, not be informed type of a strategy to reduce stress and anxiety, but just recognize, and I use that perhaps as an example, just for all of us to be thoughtful about what we're doing that we're consuming, especially from media standpoint, that is actually um, not healthy to us long-term and causing stress or anxiety or the feeling of 
comparison that can come on social media between who we are and and the, everybody around us that is, you know, we can get a feeling that we don't measure up. Any more, any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I mean, I think you, you hit it well. And I would add, although I felt like you added this as well, just, yeah, social media. I think social media is huge. And that, that I was actually talking to a friend about this um, maybe a month ago about the impact of social media politically even, right? And how divisive it is. But I think there's so much truth to what you said. We tend to compare ourselves to others. And I think there's so much wisdom in President Nelson, you know, asking, I think it was the youth to fast for 10 days from social media. And I think there's so much power with that. And to be honest, um, you know, with me and my, my platform of podcasting and trying to get it out, I'm actually not the best at putting stuff out on my social media page. But um, I think it's important to take that advice regardless, to take a break from social media for mental health, especially right now during COVID. I've just, I mean, there's so much anxiety and, and feelings that are spiking. And, and I feel like part of it is because we're losing that connection because we're not turning, turning towards each other and we're turning towards social media more to get like almost a false connection. That's very insightful. Yeah. Um, I'm going to read one more quote and then I just kind of want to turn it back to you for any final comments on any subjects you want to talk about. This is sort of fear. Um, this is Elder Uchtdorf from conference in 2017. I just love his talk is called Perfect Love Casteth Out Fear. This is Elder Uchtdorf quote, fear rarely has the power to change our hearts and it will never transform us into people who love what is right and want to obey Heavenly Father. And I just look at um, fear to me is kind of a mosaic law to, to cause a behavior that I want in people through fear um, in a manipulative way. Mm-hmm. And, that, and I just think we can live a higher law where we don't need to do that. And so if I have a political position, I can, I just kind of comes back to this point where I have a belief in the LDS church or a feeling about the doctrine of our church. I just think we can learn to stand on those facts and not use fear in a manipulative way to sort of elevate our position. Because I think that's a higher, holier way. Mm-hmm. And, that, and if we really believe in our church and our restored doctrine, I don't think we need to turn to fear. Um, we should have, if we really believe in our doctrine and loving Heavenly Parents, I think we should be some of the people that have the least amount of fear because we fully understand this beautiful plan. Um, a pre-mortal life, a mortal life, we're all the same human family. Mm-hmm. Even people that believe different than us or are in different political parties, we're all spiritual brothers and sisters of the same heavenly parents, and we're all going to be together in the next life. We may be in different places. So to me, that's just some of the journey I've, I've gone under, Valerie, to sort of get to a place where I have really far less fear in my life than I used to. So I'll turn it back to you for... Any other segments? I just want to make sure we get to all the things that are important to you. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, going along with what you were saying about fear, it reminded me of um, when I was 18 or 19, Elder Scott came to speak to our stake. And he mentioned when you're doing everything right, and this isn't, this is just something he said in person, so it's not written somewhere. <laughs> but um, he said, when you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing um, and you're striving to live the gospel, like Satan will work through fear and confusion. And I thought that was really interesting and, and also how just confusion is, is um, you know, a tool of the adversary, fear is a tool of the adversary, but also we don't have to be victims and we have power. I think about Joseph Smith, right? When he had no idea what church was true and 
um, what church to join. You know, he could have let that fear and confusion, it could have caused him to freeze, but he chose to act. And I think it's very powerful that this year, 2020, is the bicentennial of the um, first vision. And there's so much fear and confusion right now. And again, we have the opportunity to freeze and to have fear or to search out and act. And I believe just the same way Heavenly Father revealed the truth to Joseph Smith, we can have the truth revealed to us. And it's not for me to judge anyone else's story but my own. Um, But I think there's a lot of power in that. Love that. More thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Oh, I think another thought just going on with the idea of fear um, and confusion. I think sometimes we, and and this is maybe digressing a little bit, but just something that for me has helped is, again, like having a resilient mentality instead of um, a victim mentality for me is not being um, married at this point in my life. And for me, again, like I've seen so much power from it, but I also believe in promised blessings. And sometimes um, I hear some of my friends who are members of the LGBT community or experience same-sex attraction, gender dysphoria, express that like, it almost feels sometimes like it's like, well, it's different for you because, you know, you're attracted to the opposite sex. And like, yes, my journey and my story is different, but it's not a competition of who's the greater victim, right? It's the fact that we're both in this um, less than ideal situation, right? Um, sister, or I'm sorry, Erin Holmes actually has a BYU devotional she gave on like um, uncertainty. And she talks about this gap between our ideal and where we're at. And um, I believe that grace, the atonement of Jesus Christ is what fills that gap. And so for me, um, I believe that my hope for marriage and like my hope of my promised blessings and my potential may not come in this life, but they will come. Like, I believe they will. And I believe that that hope is for everyone. And I think sometimes I've had some friends who feel like some promised blessings they have to put on the table, which is great. Like we have to do what we can with where we're at. But I think to totally throw them off the table, that's when we're letting the fear, you know, come in, in my opinion. And so I just think there's so much power in in having resilience. I think that's what the gospel is all about. You know, Christ died for us so that we didn't have to sit as a victim, but so that we could overcome. It's a great segment. I love this phrase, a resistant mindset. Resilient. Mm-hmm. Resilient mm-hmm. mindset. And I love what you just said about the atonement of Jesus Christ closes that gap and the grace that's part of the atonement of Jesus Christ, if I understand you correctly, is part of that gap closing. I love the word grace. Um, I love the word hope. Hope has been on my radar map for decades. It's my favorite word in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grace is a word that keeps rising. (laughs) Um, I don't know if I've ranked all my favorite words, but it wasn't on my radar map 10 years ago. Um, Valerie, but it's high up there now. It's a word I really love. Sister Du, Sherry Du gave a talk that I've, we used to give to the YSAs, and I just love that talk. Anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I think that's, that's all I have. Is there anything else? You've done a great job. This is a wonderful podcast. There's been a great spirit here. You have a beautiful insight into so many areas. You're kind of not one-dimensional person. You, I mean that really sincerely. You've got an idea and a feeling about so many different spaces with your personal story, um, with your clinical work, with your professional work, with your mission. Um, 
I just love your life mission and, and what you're doing to use your gifts to help us come together as the body of Christ. And I really um, have a soft spot for social workers and therapists because I've been to a therapist a couple of times and I just, um, those of you that are in that space, um, thank you for what you're doing. There's a real need for the, the principles and the skills that you have. We need Jesus and sometimes we need a therapist. Those are two different things. Needing therapy is not a spiritual weakness. And so I'm grateful for the work you're doing there. I please invite our listeners to check out Valerie's podcast, Finding Unity. Will you give us uh, your website address one more time? Sure, yeah. It's www.valeriepainetherapy.com. And uh, and a little bit of trivia because I'm a Dodger fan and Valerie is from <laughs> LA. I said, are you a Dodger fan? Because she's in blue. And tell our listeners, this will surprise our listeners. Tell us your sports interests. I'm afraid I'll be disowned by my Los Angeles <laughs> fellow, you know, siblings, but um, I'm a, I'm a hockey fan. So I said, Los Angeles Kings, they're my, I'm loyal to them. <laughs> and so that's part of finding unity and and just we all have these differences and it's it's great and so thank you our listeners for joining us we really appreciate it um, appreciate you listening appreciate you sharing the podcast and appreciate especially our guest valerie who's on today's show all of you who have been prior guests um, you are my heroes future guests that you may be listening and wonder should i share my story and my thought is you can be authentic and and own your story without sharing it on a podcast. Don't feel you're weak because, especially if you're LGBTQ and you haven't told anybody, you still can be pretty, you still can be authentic. You don't have to be out on a podcast or out to anybody. But if you are, if you would like to share your story, whatever type of story it is, you know, we're, I'm always open to hearing um, people that feel impressed to be on the podcast. So you're welcome to message me. This is Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love.